Disneyland in Anaheim, California officially opened for business on July 17, 1955. It's about to turn 64 years old. It's the zenith of Walter Elias Disney's vision, better known as Walt Disney. An aspiring film director, he had become interested in animation after he was laid off from his job as an artist apprentice. He would later end up moving to California, which at the time was becoming the entertainment epicenter. Throughout the 1930s and 40s, Disney had taken his daughters to visit various amusement parks, and he first thought about developing a similar tourist attraction next to his studio where he worked at the time in Burbank, California, as a way of entertaining visitors. But he quickly came to realize that the place was too small for what he was envisioning. He hired a consultant in order to seek out a location that would suit what he was looking for. And that's when he settled on a large 60-acre swath of land in Anaheim, California in 1953. And the rest is history. More people have visited Disneyland than any other theme park in the world, with a cumulative total of 726 million visits since its grand opening. In 2018, 18.6 million people visited Disneyland, second only to the Magic Kingdom in Orlando, Florida. With tickets today averaging about $104 per person, no doubt that the amount of money the park earns is astronomical. Of all of their parks combined, Disney rakes in about $13,611 billion. That's $13.61 trillion. The company is also a major employer, it goes without saying. It should also go without saying that anyone who works for Disney, referred to cast members, should be earning somewhat close to livable wages, right? $13.61 trillion? I mean, come on. Well, not so much. Up until the beginning of this year, minimum wage employees at Disneyland earned $11. Now it's $15. But it was a hard-fought battle, and the catalyst for change began with the story of one cast member. And I'm going to tell you about her in this mini bonus episode of California Dreaming, The Tale of 20 Days. Dreamers, I'm going to tell you the story of a woman named Uwenishit Mesfin. She went by the nickname Wayne, and she was an employee of Disneyland, a cast member. She was not there during operating hours, however. She worked nights when the park was closed. She was part of the overnight maintenance crew that worked to clean up the entire park. She worked in Cars Land. She picked up trash. She cleaned the bathrooms, the floors, basically all the housekeeping or janitorial work. That was her. She was one of those who made the park nice for us visitors the next day. I'm going to assume that most of us, if we work, typically work the day or evening hours. There are a select few who work those night shifts, the overnight shifts. And for the most part, the people that I have known to work nights, they like it. After a while, it just kind of grows on you and you get used to it. I am not one of those people. I don't think I like it, though 
I've never done it. But for Wayne, I don't know this to be a fact, but I think it probably worked out better for her to be inside the park at night and off during the day. And the reason I'm making this speculation is because Wayne lived in her Honda Civic alone. And she had been for seven years. It's probably safer and easier to sleep in her car during the day as opposed to nights. It's dangerous, and on top of that, it's really hard to find a place at night to park your car and sleep without someone reporting the vehicle or the police coming along to tell you that you can't be parked and sleeping in your car. So for seven years, starting in 2009, Wayne lived in her car and nobody knew about it. She didn't tell her family. She didn't tell her co-workers. There was only one, perhaps two people that she may have confided in that she was living in her car, but that was it. Wayne turned 61 on November 25th, 2016. I don't know if she celebrated her birthday or not, if her co-workers had anything planned at work that night, or if her family got in touch with her to wish her a happy birthday. I simply don't know. Sometimes when your birthday hovers around a holiday like Thanksgiving, it can easily become overlooked. However, only four days later on November 29th, Wayne failed to show up for her shift at Disneyland. She didn't call in. She hadn't planned for the night off. She was a no-show, no-call. It was very alarming as she didn't ever just not show up. So she was quickly reported missing to law enforcement and a frantic search led by her family and friends ensued. Flyers were distributed and local hospitals were called and still nothing. 20 days later, a security guard had been alerted to a strong odor emanating from a vehicle discovered Wayne decomposing in the backseat of her 1999 green Honda Civic. She had been parked in the lot of the gym where she used the shower facilities. She was wearing clothing that one might wear to work out in, and her keys were clasped tightly in her hand. The official date of her death has been set as November 30th, 2016, five days after her 61st birthday. The Orange County Register in a 2018 article described her as a woman worn, struggling with heart issues, having found herself in this situation as a result of her strong desire for secrecy and privacy. And because of that, nobody would be there for her to aid her in her last moments alive. And nobody would find her for 20 days. And with that... Wayne unwittingly became the flashpoint for a hotly debated subject. Minimum wage workers being unable to earn enough money for food, shelter, and medical care. In 2018, 5,000 Disney Union employees were given a survey and indicated that they do not make livable wages. And suddenly, Wayne's private struggles became the centerpiece of the conversation. Her death was quickly linked via social media that the manner in which she died was in direct correlation to the amount of money she was earning at Disneyland. Now, whether or not we agree or disagree as to the issues surrounding minimum wage, in California, a family living on $11 an hour will be living in poverty. 
Could Disneyland afford to pay their cast members a little bit more? Perhaps. I'm not an accountant. I wouldn't be able to crunch the numbers to figure it out. But what I do know is when minimum wage did go up and will continue to go up, so will admission prices at Disneyland. Disneyland is not going to be the one to take the hit. Park visitors are. The last time I was at Disneyland was two years ago. My mother-in-law paid for our admission, but parking was $20. My daughter went recently and it has gone up to $25. And I don't have to tell you that food and drinks are outrageously expensive, as much as $5 for a bottle of water. And you know you can't bring in your own food or drinks unless you have a baby. Even though it costs an exorbitant amount of money to operate Disneyland every day, I'm fairly certain they aren't hurting for money based on what they charge just to get in and park your car. But what those who are pushing for change for a raise in the minimum wage for Disneyland cast members here in California, which they ultimately got, they used Wayne's story to further the agenda. On the surface, it would be easy to sensationalize the basic facts of what occurred. An aging, single woman working for the Disney janitorial overnight crew forced to live in her car due to unlivable wages, dies alone, left to decompose, undiscovered for almost three weeks. And I know my dreamers, and I know each one of you are saddened by the manner in which Wayne left our world because it is sad. But her family and friends would say her situation runs much deeper than that of a low-wage poster child. That we don't have an understanding of her life as an East African immigrant or the financial struggles that dogged her. Her family, not in any way, would want to undermine society's concerns when it comes to earning a livable wage. They just don't feel Wayne fits that mold, and they worry that her story is being misconstrued to serve a purpose it really had nothing to do with, thereby, in a way, exploiting her death and not allowing for her to rest in peace. Wayne's nephew, Jerome, who lives across the country in Virginia, was the one who reported her missing the week that she was last seen. And he indicated he is all for Disney compensating its employees more than it had been at the time of his aunt's death, but he needed it to be known that his aunt was a very, very private person, and she would not want her life and death to be a part of that conversation. He finds it sad and heartbreaking, and she would certainly be turning in her grave because of this. Was Wayne homeless because Disney paid its cast members low wages? That may well have been a part of it. There are always other matters that need to be factored in, of course. But Wayne's situation really stemmed more from a sense of privacy, personal ideologies, and pride. Those were things so deeply ingrained in Wayne, as she would never have been the type of woman to ask for a handout or help. Pride. Many of us are the same that way. My mom is kind of that way, but for her, it's the kind of pride that sort of boils over into narcissism. She thinks she's too good and too smart and too wealthy to ever need to ask anyone for help. But she needs it 
So in order to get it, she manipulates and threatens, specifically me and my daughter, into helping her. It kind of goes a little something like this. I will say to my mom, whenever there's a time that you need anything, Evelyn and I are always there for you. Anytime you need to go to the doctor or to the store or to run errands, one of us goes and we never say no. And then she will say back to me something like this. Do you think I need anything from you? Do you think that I need you to take me anyplace? I can pay anyone I want to drive me the places that I need to go. I don't need you. I've never needed you. I will never need you. Okay, but here's the thing. My mom is so freaking cheap that she would never pay anyone to do anything for her. I think she'd rather die than pay anybody for a service. She'll give my daughter money if she takes her places. Not me, of course. But she won't just pay somebody to run errands for her. Like, never. Completely unheard of. Impossible. In the Asian culture, they rely on family to provide everything for each other for free. But my mom despises her family, so it's the pride that keeps her from asking them for help. So, those of you have asked me why I don't just X her out of my life, this is basically why. Anyway, sidetracked again. Wayne's nephew said it was his aunt's pride that was the main factor in her case. So even when she had been offered assistance from an advocacy group that assisted homeless individuals, she turned it down. And when at least one of her friends had been able to deduce that Wayne had no place to live, she made her friend promise to never breathe a word about it to anyone. Pride may have been the reason, as that can only be speculated on because we don't know. In life, Weenie had been a very private person. But we still can't help but wonder about some of the questions we might be asking following her death, including the reasons why she had been homeless for so long. Why did she not allow her family to know and understand her struggles? And why would she refuse any help, even when it was offered? In the article in the register, her nephew felt that if people who didn't know his aunt were going to sit around here and ponder what happened to her, then he wanted to, at the very least, share a little bit about her life, who she was before becoming known as the homeless Disney employee who died in her car unbeknownst to anyone for 20 days. The hope, of course, is for there to be more to her memory than being used to champion a cause calling for more livable wages, but also for people to make sure that they pay close attention to family and loved ones who may be silently struggling so they don't slip away without anyone knowing whatever happened. And on a personal note... I kind of think this is what happened to my uncle who passed away in March, my mom's brother. He came from Vietnam to the United States in 1985. Of course, he had been drafted into the Vietnam War and he became injured. So when he arrived here, he lived on disability. But he chose to remain essentially homeless up until he moved into my mom's house about a year and a half before he died. He didn't want to pay any rent and he kind of squirreled his money away, telling my mom and her siblings that just when he dies, take the money he saved and use it for his funeral services, and if there's anything left, donate it to the church. 
For many years, my uncle lived in a small makeshift shed that was in the backyard area of a home that was owned by one of my aunt's family members who rented it out. He let my uncle live back there for years, and man, it must have been at least 30 years that he lived back there. And we stopped by on occasion, only during the times that my mom was actually speaking to our brother, to bring him food or groceries or to give him a ride to the doctor or to the bank or something like that. Mind you, my mom and the rest of her family have a lot of money and they have big homes, which he could have possibly stayed in, but he didn't want to live with any of them, nor did any of them want him living with them because that's just how dysfunctional my mom's family is. So eventually, I guess, the city found out that my uncle was illegally living in the backyard and he was forced to move. One of my aunts, his sister, allowed him to move into a small back house on a property that she owned and rented out too. And he stayed there for about a year until one day she flew off the handle for some reason and kicked him out. And believe it or not, this aunt of mine, she's about 15 years younger than my mom, If you can imagine this, she's actually more irrational and ridiculous than my own mom. I know, I know, it's hard to believe, but true. So she kicked my uncle out. And finally, he had to swallow his own pride and ask my mom if he could move into her house. Of course, she wasn't going to say no, though I know every fiber of her being wanted to because she did not want to have anything to do with him. And he ended up living there for the last 16 months or so of his life. And the whole time he was there, my mom and my uncle barely spoke to one another. Then one day in February, my mom found him lying on the floor of the bathroom. She phoned for an ambulance who took him to the hospital. And after some testing, it was found that pretty much every square inch of his body was riddled with cancer. So much cancer, in fact, that they were never able to figure out which cancer killed him. So this is what I'm reminded of when I read the article where Wayne's nephew said to make sure you see what might be happening to someone that you see every single day. My mom complained that her brother was so rude to her that she allowed him to live there rent free and he won't even say good morning to her or anything. He cooked food in the middle of the night while she was sleeping He refused to speak to her, only very minimally, as minimally as possible. But after he died of cancer, after only one month in the hospital, I told my mom, you know, I bet you he was feeling bad and he was in really poor health all this time. He was a heavy smoker, so he was full of cancer. And he probably didn't ever feel like getting up because he was so sick. And he never said anything to anyone about it. He never went to the doctor, and he was fully covered by the state of California. He could have been treated, but he decided to suffer in silence. He would talk to my mom maybe once a month, basically to ask her to ask me or my daughter to take him to the bank so he could withdraw his disability money, and that was it until the next month. Other times he asked for rides to pick up his prescriptions, but that was the extent of it. And I couldn't help but feel similar things were going on with Wayne. She didn't want to ask for help or accept it. And by the way, dreamers, in a really bizarre side note, before my uncle passed away, 
He told my mom and their other brother that he had about $15,000 or so saved in his room and to use that to pay for his funeral and donate the rest, right? Well, they haven't been able to find this $15,000 and it's really weird. She's pretty sure it's somewhere in the house. She just isn't capable of looking for it. Like she's not physically capable of searching the whole house. But I have no idea. I don't think he'd give it away to anyone. My mom's family is so cheap and weird about money. But I do believe he hid it. Maybe he buried it in the yard. I have no idea. I really don't want to take a look around until my mom is long gone. So anyway, Wayne's autopsy revealed that her cause of death was said to be the result of an enlarged heart. And she was one of 203 people in Orange County in 2016 where the coroner listed their residence as being, quote, no fixed abode, unquote, at the time that they passed away. According to the register, 2016 became the deadliest year on record for homeless people in the county. Wayne was the 15th that died inside a parked vehicle. When Wayne was discovered dead in her car, it was reported to law enforcement around 12 p.m. on December 19th. There was not one single news report on her death. When the services were held for the celebration of her life at a local church on January 2nd, 2017, still not one news story about it. And when Wayne was finally laid to rest in Washington, D.C., where most of her family resided, still no story. At her funeral, a picture of Wayne was printed on her card to be passed around to attendees, and she appeared much different and much healthier than the much more recent pictures that were taken while at work at Disneyland, mostly pictures taken with and by her co-workers. In those pictures, she looks very thin and gaunt, her eyes with dark circles, a shadow of her former self. Wayne was born on November 25, 1955, in an area of East Africa that at the time was a part of Ethiopia, and her family was pretty well off, her father having held a very high-level position within the government, and her mother stayed home to care for the four children, a pair of girls and a pair of boys. Wayne attended private school, and she was fluent in several languages. Her nephew, Jerome, described her as a tender soul, but also a strong woman who loved to laugh. His memories of her included her love of dancing and her love of cooking. In 1982, Wayne emigrated to the United States with the man she had been in a long-term relationship with at the time, and they set down roots in the Southern California city of Pomona. She took some college classes and found work at a local bank, and from all Jerome knew, she seemed to be doing okay. But by 1992, Wayne's relationship fell apart, and from what I was able to find, it didn't seem that the couple ever got married. They went their separate ways, and then a terrible tragedy struck the family back home in Africa. Wayne's mother was murdered. Reports described her killing as a brutal mutilation inside the family home and it appeared to be an act that was politically motivated, perhaps related to Wayne's father's work with the government. The family ended up fleeing to the United States. Some of them settled in Southern California, 
but most of Wayne's family wound up in Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. Though Wayne's dad was not one of them, he stayed behind in their native country and passed away in 2014 at the age of 95. Jerome said that the family tried in vain to talk Wayne into moving to the East Coast to be closer to them. She did visit on special occasions and during the holidays. For 10 years, she rented an apartment in Anaheim, but soon she downgraded to renting rooms, and eventually, her last known address became a post office box. Her family, having never known that Wayne finally resorted to living in her car sometime in 2009, and they would not find this information out until her 2016 death, but for seven years, she lived in her car, and her family never knew. The last time her nephew Jerome saw her was when he visited California sometime in 2005, while she was still renting. So the last time he saw his aunt was 11 years before her death. But he said she'd call and texted often, and they last heard from her on Thanksgiving Day, which was the week prior to her having failed to show up for work. Sometime prior to 2007, Wayne lost her job at the bank, the one that she had had since immigrating to the United States in 1982. So she had been working there, or at least in the industry, for as many as 21 to 22 years. Her family knew that Wayne was desperately looking for another job, as she had mounting medical bills. According to Disney's records, Wayne began working there as a part-time cast member in 2007 and became full-time in 2009. Her family said she kept telling them that her job, which they described as cleaning toilets and picking up trash, was only something to get her through until she found something better. Now, as sad as I am for the family dreamers, I take issue with the manner in which they described her work. I understand that it's not the greatest job in the world or the most prestigious, but it's still a job, and I know that so many of us have much respect for these positions that get looked down upon or jobs that people think are beneath them. This was a time that our country was on the verge of sinking into a years-long recession. My husband lost his job several times between 2008 and 2012, and it was hard finding decent work. So when you're offered a job, even if it's for the nighttime janitorial crew at Disneyland, if someone is unemployed and needs work, are they really in a position to turn it down? It really depends on the person, I guess, but Wayne accepted the job. And whatever her situation was, she stayed at it for nine years. Was she actively looking for other work? I don't know. She could have been. She might have become comfortable and content in the work that she was doing there. She made friends. Maybe she just told her family she was looking for something quote-unquote better because of the way they looked down upon it. They seemed a bit out of touch with her anyway, seeing as the last time her nephew saw her was more than a decade. But that's not unusual for family who live so far apart and to not see one another for extended period of times, especially nowadays when we have social media and FaceTime and all that good stuff. 
And for seven years, she was hiding the fact that she was homeless from them. Maybe she didn't want them meddling in her life. And if they thought of her work as something lowly as cleaning toilets and picking up trash, well, then I can kind of understand her desire to perhaps keep them at a certain distance. She also didn't tell them that she was heavily in debt too. But that's also understandable. It's easy to fall into that when you're struggling financially over a sustained period of time, especially if the debt involved hefty medical expenses. Her nephew told the register if he had known how difficult things were for Wayne, he would have tried harder to talk her into moving closer with the rest of the family on the East Coast. They could have helped. But honestly, I don't think that there was any amount of convincing that would have changed her mind. Obviously, she preferred living in her car rather than setting aside her pride in order to lean on her family. Many people choose to do that, and I have a lot of respect for that too. So because of confidentiality, Wayne's hourly wage when she died is not known, but it is speculated to have been hovering around $13 to $14 per hour, and her shift usually started around 11.30 p.m., and she'd be off by 8 a.m. Now, to me, that still doesn't seem like where she should have been with the wages, especially since she had been there for as many years as she had been, nine in total by the time she died. But having been an hourly wage earner in California for a number of years, I do know from my own experience that with companies, they often do some shady things. I'm not saying Disneyland did this, But this is something that had happened to me before. When I started working way back in 1990-something, the minimum wage was $4.25 an hour. I know there's going to be some of you who are going to come forward and tell me that you started at a minimum wage of $2.25 an hour. And if my dad were alive, he'd tell you he got his first job as a soda jerk earning $0.10 an hour, so I get it. I didn't have the lowest minimum wage ever, but that's just where I started. So periodically, as time went on, California would, little by little, year by year, raise the minimum wage, right? So what would happen to me is I would be given a review and a raise of whatever amount. It might have been like 50 cents per hour or whatever, but still, you know, a raise is a raise. But then suddenly, the following month, a new minimum wage would go into effect. And even though I just got a quote unquote raise, I'd find myself back earning minimum wage again, which the company would have been required by law to have given me anyway. If they had waited a month to give me a raise, then heaven forbid, I'd be earning more than the minimum, right? Shady. I wouldn't be surprised if Disney did the same thing whenever they had the chance. But don't forget... I believe that their starting pay is around $15 per hour now, but they also raise their park admission prices. So as I said, the Disney Corporation is not going to be the one taking the brunt of the financial hit. We are as park goers. And not only did they raise their prices, but they also spiked their prices on days that the demand for tickets is higher. For example, a value ticket at Disneyland is $97 which are the days that fall in the middle of the week that don't fall on holidays. Prices surge to $135 per person during spring break, all summer long, 
and on any holiday or weekends. The point is, Disneyland is making us money. So Wayne was in charge of training new cast members, and she was known for having a meticulous work ethic. With attention to details, she was pretty much a perfectionist. No matter the job, she would be the one to do it with pride in her workwomanship. She was dedicated to her job. She worked extremely efficiently, often showing up her co-workers half her age. She wore a fanny pack to work, and in it she kept a small collection of pens, some Kleenex and Advil, and a small knife that she used to cut up fruit, which is what it seemed her diet mostly consisted of. She called her friends at work, darling, and many of them looked up to her as a mentor, as she was often much older and wiser than most others. But Wayne was suffering quietly in the background. She had heart-related issues, apparently caused by a virus. I looked it up because obviously I'm not a doctor, and it seemed that she most likely had what's called myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle. It affects the heart's electrical system, thereby reducing the heart's ability to pump, leading to rapid or abnormal heart rhythms. It's usually caused by a virus, but there are many ways it can be caused, though it is rare. And the symptoms would include chest pains, rapid or abnormal heart rhythm, retaining fluids, swelling of the legs, ankles, and feet associated with that, fatigue, as well as other symptoms associated with a viral infection, such as headaches, body aches, joint pain, fever, sore throat, and diarrhea. So, Wayne had an inflamed heart. She suffered through these symptoms and never said anything to anyone. Though one of her co-workers did say that the week before she was last seen at work, she did say that she wasn't feeling well because of her blood pressure and she had been unable to use the bathroom. This co-worker also said that Wayne was fatigued, like, all the time. But she never stopped working unless it was break time. She'd work six days if she could. She never turned down that extra shift. And she never called out sick. When they had breaks, she would go in the break room and fall asleep, having to be woken up in order to get back to work. Her condition could have been treated. Did she have medical insurance? Maybe not, which might be why she never sought treatment. A co-worker named Mindy became very close friends with Wayne, and she would eventually be at least one of the very, very few people who had been able to draw the truth out of Wayne when it came to her living situation. They had worked together for six years, and in that time, Wayne never had any of her co-workers over to her house for social gatherings or anything. Mindy asked on occasion, but Wayne would be vague, and sometimes she brought up a roommate that she had. Though I don't know if she used the roommate as a possible excuse to not be able to have company over. Then sometime in 2016, Wayne asked Mindy if she could have her mail delivered to her house because she didn't want her roommate seeing the things that she was receiving in the mail. But Mindy really wasn't buying that. And what's more, when Wayne's mail did start coming, she received a lot of envelopes that looked like they were from collections. Finally, Mindy was like, come on, something's up. 
and she was eventually able to get Wayne to admit that she had been living in her car for as many as six years by that time. Her belongings were kept in three different storage units, which you know can be expensive, and she would shower and take care of her personal hygiene at a 24-hour fitness, but she didn't or wouldn't tell Mindy which one she went to. Wayne told her that she had a goal to pay off all the debt, and then she would begin looking for a place to live. Mindy didn't ask how much debt Wayne was in, though she was curious, she didn't go there. Mindy also said that Wayne told her that she was wiring several hundreds of dollars every other week to family, but Jerome said that he was unaware of his aunt sending money to anyone. But then again, there were many things about Wayne Jerome didn't know. She could have been sending money back to family in Africa. Her dad was still there. Perhaps she was helping him in some way. My mom did that too for many years, sent money to her parents in Vietnam. It's totally not unheard of, and it's really nobody else's business either. Wayne told Mindy that sometimes she would stay at a motel so she could get some better rest, and Mindy did offer for her to stay at her place, but she told Mindy that she had to decline because she was afraid of dogs, explaining that she had been attacked once. Though, I suspect that this was Wayne again not wanting to accept a handout. Mindy suggested a shelter, but she said that there were none that could accommodate her work schedule. She wouldn't be able to sleep there during the day and leave to work at night, as that went against their rules. Finally, Mindy just had to let go of trying to help her friend as much as she didn't want to. And according to the register, a gentleman by the name of Paul Leone a representative of one of Orange County's largest homeless services providers called the Illumination Foundation was referred to Wayne by another Disney employee who had knowledge of her dire situation and a meeting was arranged at some point in 2016. But when Paul met with Wayne, she told him that she didn't need help, which is a response that he's heard often as people in this predicament really don't consider themselves to be homeless especially if they have a vehicle to sleep in. They keep looking to the future. At some point, things are bound to turn around. Paul, too, like Jerome, has regrets that he didn't try harder with Wayne, knowing now how her story ended. The last person known to have spoken to Wayne was Mindy. During the day of November 29, 2016, Mindy had apparently asked Wayne if she could do her a favor and go to the bank to deposit $25 into Mindy's account because she was overdrawn. This was some time before noon. Wayne completed the transaction, but when Mindy called her later on in the day so she could arrange to pay back the $25, Mindy was unable to reach her. Then, on the night of the 29th, Wayne was scheduled for work but she never showed up and nobody received any calls or messages indicating that she couldn't or wouldn't be making it into work that night. Her friends at work immediately felt something was wrong. They also began calling around to local hospitals and Mindy herself called some homeless shelters, 
but she kept that information to herself as nobody else at Disneyland knew that she lived in her car. Her friends also went to some of the addresses Wayne had on file at work that were places she had once resided at, and they found nothing. They began making posts on social media regarding her whereabouts, attempting to reach her or anyone that knew her. Meanwhile, over on the East Coast, Wayne's family also became concerned that they had not heard from her, and Jerome filed a missing persons report with the police within a week of her having gone missing. Family that lived in Southern California, as well as her friends and co-workers, began plastering her missing persons flyers all over Anaheim, and they went looking door-to-door in the neighborhoods that she had once resided in. Disney's security team kept in regular contact with the Anaheim police to stay abreast of any news of her whereabouts. Wayne was kept on as an active employee of Disneyland until it was determined what had happened to her. Her absence at Disneyland was felt by everyone, and everyone was frantically searching for her. Jerome finally received the call just before Christmas that Wayne had been found deceased. And it's such a sad time of year to receive that kind of news, though. It would have been sad any time of year. Just the holidays adds another layer. Of course, thinking about Wayne having quietly passed away in her car and left there for 20 days is also an incredibly heartbreaking aspect of this story. Jerome called the rest of the family to break the news to them that Wayne was gone. The night crew supervisor at Disneyland broke the news to her co-workers and friends there. Jerome had arranged to come to California to take care of Wayne's arrangements as well as her personal effects. He also learned that she had been discovered parked in a parking structure near the gym where she showered. I looked it up on maps and I am going to take a trip over there to see if I can find the parking structure because I want to see it. Jerome walked the parking structure, spiraled up the various floors to see how it was Wayne had gone unnoticed for 20 days. The fact that there is security that is supposed to have been patrolling the structure has me thinking that someone wasn't doing their job properly if her vehicle had been sitting there for 20 days without being towed. And I want to know too. But police wouldn't tell Jerome any of the details about how or why that happened. It was also the first that he had learned that Wayne was homeless. But then it's possible that some places allow for the overnight parking and whatnot. I know a Walmart that I used to live near had a man who lived in his car that was allowed to park there. And when David used to work for the city of Lakewood, even though I don't think that they were allowed to let people living in their vehicles park at the various city parks for extended periods of time, I think they kind of left them alone. Sometimes they'd help pick up trash in the park and tidy up the area, and they really weren't a nuisance, so they figured as long as they weren't bothersome or causing problems, what's the harm, right? I mean, but some cities just don't allow it. Most cities, in fact. Whether Wayne is the poster child for low wages paid out to employees of multi-billion dollar companies depends on how you feel about the way Wayne chose to manage her life. Sure, if the powers that be at Disney had come to her and said, Hey, Wayne, 
You've been a dedicated employee of ours for nearly 10 years now. We think you deserve more, so we're giving you this healthy raise. Then, yeah, she would have accepted it because she earned it. But with her not telling her family of her misfortunes, with her unwillingness to accept assistance from friends as well as the Homeless Services Advocacy Group, working hard for it was the only way Wayne was willing to go. Should Disney employees be using her name, her story, her life, her death, and her legacy to further their agendas? Hmm, probably not. But I do think Wayne would want her friends at Disney to be able to bring home better wages in order to take care of themselves and their families so they would never have to find themselves having to ask for help. But that's the one thing I do disagree with Wayne on. When you have family, either blood or chosen, or loved ones or close friends, we shouldn't be afraid to confide when we're struggling or when our health is not so good. It's not a matter of pride, but rather keeping those connections fresh and honest so nobody ends up dying alone. If we have reluctant or stubborn loved ones, maybe it's a lesson to all of us who tell ourselves, well, if they don't call, then everything must be okay. We should have check-ins, especially our loved ones who we know are alone in this world. Thank you for listening, my dreamers. Until next time, sweet dreams.